This is Keaton Kruger from Iowa, and you're listening to the Vance Crow Podcast. AJ Reeves. Yes, sir. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad you're here. I uh, I invited you on as kind of a, a wild card. And it's that all of the other guests that I've had so far have been established experts in some field. And it is clear when we're talking that they know something really, really, really deeply. And uh, no offense, but you're too young, I think, to Correct. have most people at your age, I certainly at, at your age, do not have a deep, deep expertise. But... You have some characteristics about you that I think are remarkable. I think that are, are actually worthy of people taking note and being like, hey, wow, I could learn something from this guy because I know that I have. Right. And so I wanted to bring you on and talk about what is it like to be a young man in his 20s living in a Midwestern city and you're trying to figure out what's going to happen uh, in the future? What kind of job should I get? What, what What's going on with marriage? What's this thing all about? I want to talk about like, what is your view? And the reason that I chose you is because we met at jujitsu. You had gotten your ass in there before I had gotten mine in there. Like you had said, hey, this is a skill I want to learn and I'm willing to go through the abuse and the beatings to get it. And so you and I are both white belts. You are a four stripe white belt and I am a two stripe white belt. And uh, since going there, I can tell you that the thing that has helped me progress is that I see how the way you work on things gets you to progress faster. And I think there are a lot of things that we could learn, people could learn from that. And so let's just have a conversation um, about you and your life and whatever. And I'll even talk about what it was like when I was in my twenties. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great. And I would like to say too, that the kind words mean a lot coming from you, Vance. Oh man. So when you think about what brought you into the jujitsu studio at first, what is that? Why did a guy like you decide, Hey, I'm going to go start fighting and grappling and choking people to death and letting them choke me to death? I think a little bit of fear and a little bit of being a fan of MMA. So I've been a fan of MMA for a long time. I like watching fights, the UFC, Bellator, Pride, Strike Force. I just am a fan of that. You knew about this stuff before you came to jiu-jitsu? Yes. I didn't even really know about it at all really? until after I came to jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I've been a fan of MMA for a long time. Okay. And I think that's part of the reason I wanted to start training. Another reason is where I grew up, it's not the greatest neighborhood of all time. And I've had friends get jumped and I've had friends get beat up. Really? Just by yeah. like random people that want to yeah. take their take, money? Or? Yeah. yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Have yeah. you have you ever been in a situation where you've been held up? I have not. I think I've been scared before in like situations that could turn bad, but no, I haven't been in one. How, and how old are you? 24. I'm going to be 25 on the 5th or the 9th. So how are you deciding what to do with your life right now? Um, I'm just trying to pick up skills and I'm trying to find out what I want to do with the rest of my life kind of. I think I'm I'm exploring right now. I'm trying jujitsu. I'm doing web development. I'm learning a lot about investments and how to use my money and make my money work for me. I'm just trying to learn as much as I can and figure out what my real interests are. How are you? How do how do you even establish that list of the things that you want to you know learn more about? I mean, because I would yeah. say those are yeah, those a sure. damn good list. You yeah. you could probably make a principled list, and those would all be core principles for everybody to learn: how to defend yourself, how to manage your money. What should I be spending my time working towards? So on the fly, I can't think of the title of the book, but there was a book I was reading, maybe I'll think of it later. And 
the author said that you should have three hobbies and it's one that keeps you smart, which is web development for me. One that keeps you in shape, which is jujitsu for me. And one that makes you money, which is just learning about investing and investing my money. Oh man, that is really good. Yeah, so I tried to get three hobbies based around that. Who, who introduced you to the idea that you could go be reading books and somebody would have already figured something out that you could learn from? That's a good question. I think I got lucky in high school by having a good string of liter- literature teachers that I kind of looked up to and were good to talk to. And they didn't force books down. Your throat, like we read Catcher in the Rye and all that stuff in high school, like most high school kids do. But they had a really uh, relaxed approach and just would talk to you and have conversations. And I kind of looked up to them. And I had one that was really into nonfiction and more philosophical books, which was also fun to talk to him about. I got into reading at a really young age. Actually, my mom loves to tell this story uh, when she's just talking about me being a kid. Is in preschool or kindergarten, one of the two kids weren't really reading that much yet. And if they were, it was just piece like one word at a time, you know, like this is Apple. Right. right? Sight words. Yes. Yes. Um, so in preschool or kindergarten, I can't remember, but I, after my first day, I came home crying, like just bawling my eyes out. And my mom's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I, th- I was like, the teacher said she wouldn't let us read. Like she wasn't going to teach us how to read yet. And I was mad. Oh. I wanted to learn how to read. That's why I want, I'm like, if I'm going to go to school, I want to learn how to Hell read. Hell yeah. That is exactly what you want your kid yeah. to come home and be like, I was, I thought I was going to learn at this level and we're not doing it. Yeah. And so my mom actually told my teacher, just talking to her, like, he really wants to learn how to read. If you could kind of just squeeze that in if you can. Right. And then come the end of the year, I was reading like little Dr. Seuss books or whatever to the class. So I'm a hundred percent with you, man. Like my, as my childhood is filled with books. Yeah. So there's all the adventures that I went on going to my first day of kindergarten and, you know, uh, going to a dude ranch with my family as our one big family vacation we ever took. And then I had these book adventures that I went on like Louis L'Amour. Did you ever read those books? I did not. They're cowboy books. And then I read, I never read Harry Potter, but I read like similar sets of things and kids that go on these adventures learn about how the world works before the kids that are just sitting around doing nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Reading's very powerful. What are you reading right now? So right now I'm kind of in between books and I'm thinking I'm just going to pick up on the book club you're doing here. Nice. Yeah. I I have a couple books set aside that I do need to read and I'm really I really procrastinating on that. The the uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, you can get the book for like 5 bucks if you want to hold it, you know, yeah, I like sure. to hold it. And uh th- the first chapter just to give you an idea of what's going on. They're having like a great time, they're eating, they've come out of the trenches, everybody's happy. And then partway through they talk about a guy getting shot killed mm-hmm. through the eye. And so you have this juxtaposition in this first chapter of like joy, happiness, people celebrating, and then, you know, horrific, immediate death right next to it. And you know that they've just crawled out of the trenches in World War Mm One, where they're trying to do that to other guys, too. Oh, wow. So the book has already started off just like Like, at at full speed. Just a punch in the face. Yeah, that's That's right. That's awesome. So I actually had the chance to read All Quiet on the Western Front in high school. We had to pick between two books, and I actually picked the other one. What was the other one? Uh, It's called The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. I've never heard of this. It actually ended up becoming my favorite book of all time. Oh, wow. I'm glad that I read it. It's a very interesting perspective, and I think if you know anybody that has autism, you should read that book. I certainly do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it's written about this kid, and he's really into mysteries. 
like the Nancy Drew or the, you know, Sherlock Holmes mysteries. Right. And he has autism, the main character, and you're seeing the book through his eyes. So the author is actually writing through the perspective of someone with autism. So you're not reading the book as or seeing things in the real world as we would see it. You're seeing it as the kid with autism would see it. Wow. Yeah, it's very impressive. That's like putting VR goggles on. Yes. And and walking through that. But there's something about the universe that this author painted that is very descriptive and very visual. Like you can see it when you read it. Okay, okay. So tell me the name one more time. What's the, the name? The Curious of Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Okay. I uh I will I, you know what? So how how do you have any idea when that book would have been written? I actually do not. So here is a challenge that I'm trying to overcome with the book club, which right. is I want the books to have stood a long enough test of time that you can say, hey, there's something culturally important for us to know about this book. Right. Right. And so there's this concept called the Lindy effect, which Nassim Taleb talks about, like okay. a book, as long as a book has been around, it is likely it is, that it will be around for approximately that much time on the other side. The, the odds are, if you were going to choose of all the books that are out there, which one's going to last at least this long, that one's going to have a higher odds of doing it. Oh, right? wow. Yeah. So there's a value in finding books that are further out because it means they've had deeper contextual, you know, cultural meaning, mm -hmm. but you don't want to go so far back that you lose the people that could be kind of following your, your way down there. So I want to have things that are in the era of To Kill a Mockingbird, but I don't want to read To Kill a Mockingbird again. Right. It was a good book, but I learned my lesson there. So I want to find out, like, what's that cutoff line? Because To Kill a Mockingbird's like the 1960s. Okay. And so, you know, is it that it has to be 60 years old? I don't know. What it, what happens if there was a book in the 80s that was yeah. really important and shaped some part of culture? And so, like, when I think about you, the book you're talking about, if it's more recent... I'm okay with that, yeah. but I want it to be because it's teaching me like some deep, important meaning. Right. And that's what Dante's Inferno was for me. Sure. And Dante's Inferno is pretty far back, right? When did that come out? Yeah, 1400s. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And it, 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 did you did you read it? I did not. I got I read uh, the first three cantos and then did my thing and procrastinated on it. But I, I mean, like, I understand that because if I had not had the book club... I 100% would have done that because that's where you're walking from like, Hey, I'm, I'm on a walk and I got lost and I was chased by these animals to the gates of hell. And it yeah. says, you know, all you who enter here, uh, abandon all hope because it's just black and abysmal from here. And if you don't get past that door, mm -hmm. you don't actually know how deep that hole is. And it is definitely worth it because he, climbs down into the pits of hell and his point of view is showing like this is the suffering that awaits you if you do something of a crime of this magnitude you know i had somebody show up on my facebook and be like yeah dante was just trying to get e even with all of his enemies showing how they were in hell and he's like yeah maybe that's one context but what he's doing is he's saying look everybody there are some rules that if you break those rules your eternity is forever punishment. Yeah. That's deep. That's deep. Sure. Sounds like I quit right before the good part. Huh? Right. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder like how often I do that in life. If I quit something, I'm like, what if I just stopped right before it got good or something? I, that is a wonderful yeah. question because I think that the difference between my life and your life in my twenties, one of them is that, You've gone deeper on your explorations, on your hobbies, 
and I explored really wide. Really? So I was like going on this ship, but I only did it for 10 months, 11 months, you know, um, and then I did this house, but I didn't do two or three or four where I'm like renovating it and figuring that out. I was like, hey, I do that, but I don't really like it. So I'm not even getting out of the white belt where you're a beginner to a blue belt where you could defend yourself. I'm not quite getting to that level. I'm close, but not there. And I give up on all these things and move into different fields. Yeah. Whereas you have gone deep on jujitsu, on drumming, on now you're trying to do the one on coding. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, let me ask you something about that. Um, so you're a kid, right? And you've gone on this ecotourism ship and you're out in the ocean. I mean, that's, that's a little scary to some people, right? And you bought this house, you renovated it, you flipped it, right? Yeah. Okay. And that's uh, that's a good investment, and that's kind of a uh, big jump sometimes to some people. But then you talk about the Peace Corps and going all the way to Africa. To me, that's insane. That is... You mean it frightens you? Yeah. Yeah, that's just such a big... Just It could change your life so much. Would right. Would you be worried about your safety, or would you be worried about like what you would do with your time, or I, would it be like being leaving the rest of the world behind? Probably leaving the rest of the world behind a little bit. And I think just how, I don't know, just how big of a decision that is to just pack up and leave. I kind of want to know what was going through your head when you were like, Peace Corps, I'm in. I, I, I can tell you uh, there's there's two major drivers. One, and both of them really fear-based. One was um, I had this sensation that everything that was important that was happening was happening somewhere else, right? So I grew up in Eureka, Illinois. It's small town, you know, 4,500 people, great people. I love my hometown. Like, wow. like love, love Good. it. I On Facebook, I see my friends succeeding and I celebrate and excited about it and I want to see their businesses going. Like, I loved my hometown. But I always thought that the town next to ours probably was doing something cooler. Yeah. And then the same thing, you know, oh, maybe maybe at the university that's going to be something cooler. And then, you know, I want to go see other people. So I'm always motivated by this, like, there's something else going on and I'm not a part of it. So that was like, okay, I've got to go do this. And then the other thing was I was absolutely deathly terrified that I would not earn the respect of my father. Wow. That's, that's a big one to overcome. I want to hear about that. So my dad traveled all over the world before other people did it. You know, like now people have semester at sea. They get a chance to get out and see things. Yeah. But my dad was born in 1942. And so before he had seven kids, he had this life where he was, um, you know, he, he uh, joined the Peace Corps as well. He was in the second class of the Peace Corps. He heard John F. Kennedy give the speech, and my dad was like, I'm signing up for that. And there was this was back when it was like more of like a military thing. So they used to have it where you like showed up in barracks in, in Puerto Rico, and you trained, and you had to do, you know, running and medical stuff. You had to like really learn how to do this in a really hardcore way, and they were going to drop you in and help people. That's not at all. I, I was in a settled area yes it was dirt floors for most people they they drew their water out of wells and stuff but it was just different than what my dad was doing then my dad gets back to the u.s he meets pete scotese that guy i went out and uh, met and then uh and then i could go on and on about his story but ultimately he has a fulbright scholarship in ecuador so he now speaks fluent you know spanish 
um, because he was already down in the Peace Corps in Peru. Then he uh, comes, he does some sort of language program where he learns how to speak Portuguese. So he also speaks Portuguese and traveled and lived down in Brazil. Then he got some job that sent him to Japan, right at, at Japan as they were starting to become an industrialized major superpower, you know, like late 70s. And then he came back after all that, met my mother, who was a school teacher, and had seven children. And so he does not fight to be a part of politics in our hometown. He's like, he's a country stockbroker. He helps people um, make money off of the money that they're earning in other ways. And he was very, very successful. And he was completely a hermit. And he had tens of thousands, maybe maybe more than 10,000 books uh, all throughout my house. And, uh, and he doesn't go out and, and, uh, go to parties and things like doesn't drink, doesn't, he's just country guy reading these books. Wow. And so as a kid, I'm growing up being like, I got to get out of here. Dad had this wild life. And then he came here. Like, why would he do that? I need to be out there where all the fun and exciting things are happening. Right. And I'm also deathly afraid as soon as I get out there that my dad's going to think that I'm wasting my time because I wasn't going to Japan. You know, nobody was paying me to get a, you know, to do a Fulbright in Ecuador. And so like, what can I possibly do to live up to what this guy already did? Right. And, uh, that's driven me most of my life. Um, probably until I met my wife. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I think most people look up to their parents and some, a lot of people do. Right. And do your dad doing all that. That's obviously something to look up to. So, yeah, and I think that the interesting part about it is there's a difference between looking up to someone and then um, being afraid of their disappointment. Right. That too. Yeah. Right. Like because there's an equal there's an equal however much you look up to them, then that's how much the, the disappointment if you do something wrong would hurt you. Right. Do you view this as a negative thing? You uh, being dis- or like scared of what your dad would think? No. No. I, at the time, uh, I did. I mean, at one point in time, I I was at the point where one time I uh, was telling my friend Court, I told this on the podcast one time, I think, and um, but I don't know how blunt I was about it. I, I was talking with my friend Court and uh, telling him, you know, I don't know what my dad, what, what I could grow up to be right. that my dad would respect. And, uh, and so he was like, well, you should call him and tell him that. And I was like, I would rather put a gun in my mouth then call my father and tell him that I don't know how to earn his respect. Sure. And my buddy court was like, okay. And he sets the phone down and was like, then I think that means you should call him and he, and he leaves. Yeah. And, uh, that was a life changing experience for me. And I think that everyone has to go through that. If you've ever found somebody that you really respect, but that respect is turned into some form of slavery to who they think you should be or to who you think they think you should be. You got to get out of that. And my dad wasn't doing it to me. No. He wasn't doing anything wrong at all. I had put him you, on that pedestal. Yeah, you just built this up in your head and just looped it and looped it and looped it until right. it got bigger. He was just a man that decided that what he wanted was to live among his books and have his seven kids and and their grandkids. And he's just living a quiet life with my mother and they're deeply, deeply happy. Just small town. and. But when you're a kid, you don't think of being quiet and no. fulfilled and you know having kids around as being you know, the way to have succeeded, you think, go out there, become important. You want to be where the party's at too. Right. Yeah. What is your aspiration? My aspiration? Uh, you know, that's, that's a good question. I think 
I'm uh, more of a person of building these short-term goals right now. I think right now I'm pretty short-sighted on what I want to be doing. I just, instead of thinking I want to be a doctor in 20 years, I'm kind of thinking like, I want to get better at this now. And I think that's kind of my approach to it. I don't know if it's right or wrong or in between, but. Well, I think that you could make the case that there is a cost with time uh, that you have to consider, right? So um, you want to wait until you know what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to wait so long that you've missed the starting gun, True. you know, yeah. and I like uh, that's probably the area of my life that I probably hurt the most in, in that I was spending time not really choosing something yeah. and using it like, OK, I don't know what to do. I'll do this next step. And it, I don't know that I, I definitely couldn't know where I ended up, but I wish I would have spent more time just stopping and thinking about what it is that I actually want in my life. Yes. You know, and, and, uh, and imagining myself having tastes that change because when I was 22, I remember thinking like only losers would quit partying and having fun at the bars like this. Yeah. And then later you get older and you're like, if you were 30 years old and you act like that, then you're, you're, oh, dipshit. you're, you're lost. You're yeah. done. Yeah. So anyway, I'm not saying you're a drunkard no, or anything no, like I, that. I'm I, just saying like, I figured that you want to make sure that you shoot the gun. I don't have any criticisms on what you're doing. I'm just sure. wondering, do you think you will be on a path? Are you anticipating like, you know, 2020, I'm going to know what I'm going to be. Or are you thinking, no, I got a few more years to figure this out. Um, I would like to get it figured out sooner rather than later, but I also want to figure it out. Like I want to do it right and know what I want to do. Like I said, I'm kind of on this exploration of figuring out what I want to do. And I, I think I'm narrowing in on something Right. I'm I'm actually getting really interested in stocks and investing and how money works. And I've been teaching myself that just for fun. How are you learning that? Just various sources online, uh, whether it's through YouTubers or books. And how do you know you're not getting the like essential oils treatment where where or like the multi level marketing I, you know, you should buy these shares in this uh Well, I guess hypothetically I don't. How, okay. However, uh I haven't spent anything on any extra courses or okay so i think that's a good start and then do you have names of people that come to mind that have been interesting yeah uh one of them is graham stevens he's a youtuber he's a little out there i think some people might kind of find him abrasive but he's a real estate investor and he's young so i kind of level with him on that like it's just cool to hear someone that's around my age being super successful uh but he also gives real practical advice it's not big, lofty, crazy, uh, unreachable. Like you see a lot of, uh, people kind of like, I think of the essential oils thing, like you said, right. I think there's a lot of good in like some of the cryptocurrency stuff that's out there, but there's a lot of fake salesmen online and people selling their courses and how to become a billionaire in 10 years and how to become a millionaire tomorrow. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Like I stay away from all that stuff, but you know what? That means that I do miss that there are people that can be explaining to you. I don't watch much on finances. So I, my dad was a stockbroker. My brother is uh, a a CP level, CPA level. I don't think he ever got a CPA, but he's an accountant, hardcore, runs, you know, a, a really sophisticated geothermal well drilling company. Yeah. But anyway, so I was kind of always around people that understood money. And if I had mm-hmm. questions, I could ask them. But one of the benefits of watching a YouTube channel is sometimes they're going to tell you about things you didn't know to ask. Yes. 
And that's the important thing about getting out into the chaos and finding these people. Correct. Yeah. And I think a lot of it too is just, you know, when you're studying these things, finding people that are actually energetic. I think that's a, that's a big thing for me. I like, like people like these YouTubers are like kind of energetic and make me feel more excited. I don't think I could do it if the guy was super monotone and just sitting there telling me how things work. So I've been reading Carl Jung and he talks about, you can't force yourself to be interested in things you're not interested in. Yeah. And he talks about how when you do become curious about something, you should really pay attention to that. And I thought, man, that is exactly right. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. And if you could maybe send me something on where to find the Carl Jung pamphlet you're talking about, I would love to look into it. Yeah, dude, I'll throw a link to it on the on this um, part of the podcast on the, in the notes on the YouTube channel. Okay. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't have a full like picture of Carl Jung. I've just barely started. Yeah. I don't know much, but about he him. talks a lot about archetypes, which are like the core fundamental heroes and the, and the characteristics that a person could have deep down kind of at their core. Okay. And, uh, there's so much there, um, that I don't know where to tell you to look. I, I think, but I'll sh- share with the one that I have. Okay. I'm going to have my, um, I, I have a wild story. So Monsanto gave me an executive coach because they wanted me to choose to go from being director of millennial engagement to do I want to do finance or supply chain, right? And they were like trying yeah. to get the executive coach to explore my options. They sat me down with this woman that was unbelievable she was so good i went there thinking it was going to be like a rah 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 you can do it there you know no no this woman was able to ask me questions and listen to what i said to her about what i cared about and what i wanted and what i was passionate about she came and watched me give a speech and she knew deep deep down my archetype right and what i'm trying to do and uh, I met with her a couple of weeks ago and she agreed after a really careful thought that she would come on the podcast. So I'm going to yeah. do that in a couple of weeks. And she did a whole bunch of work in Jungian psychology. So wow. I will I will definitely load up uh, people and give you a chance to explore some Jung because yeah. I think the conversation with her is going to be fantastic. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And so when you go to jujitsu, are you excited about getting there? Or are you dreading it? Uh, neither. I think whenever I first started, especially, I was really uh, excited, nervous, like it's a new thing and I don't want to look dumb. I don't want to get beat up all the time. Right. But now it's kind of, uh, I don't know if I have like some overwhelming emotion when I show up, I'm just there. I'm ready to go. I, uh, for me, when I get there now, I get excited the better that the person is that walks in the door. Yeah. And I remember for most of the time, I'm like, oh, I hope somebody new comes in. I don't want to be the new guy anymore. But eventually you get to the point where you're like, yeah, I can I can roll with that guy and beat him. But what I really want is to roll with a guy that I can't beat because yes. then I get way better. No, I agree. I think there's it reaches a limit though, right? Like, you, But then if your coach is going to be rolling that night, like... Well, what can you do? Right. Right. So. That's, I, I, that's one of the things that you really can't understand just by looking and, and, and talking with coach that men can train for 10 years, lift weights as heavy as they can run every single day and they could go up against coach and not. It doesn't matter. Yeah. There are, there are only a small number of people in the world that can roll with him and and beat him and quite frankly i want to see it i want to see what it takes to beat coach i just live and in person yes i want to see someone do it 
I don't know why. I just I, I think it's do. because you know how strong he actually is. I yeah. actually maybe better put we don't know because he never goes. Yeah. Do, do you have this sensation when you're rolling with coach that you're like a little kid yeah. rolling around on his dad? Yeah. Sometimes I try new things rolling against coach things I've never tried before because it doesn't matter what I do. Like I could pull guard and do my game like what I normally do, but. I, that's where I, whenever I roll with coach, I've been trying weird stuff just because. But I think that one of the things that you get from that with coach is you see what essentially the paradise state would be, right? Yes, yes. But you also see like we know what it took him to get there, and he makes you go like, I don't know that I'm willing to do yeah, that. Like you, he was trying to get out of the 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 hell that was the parts of Brazil that he was in where he's getting beat up, and so he got out of there and then climbed up a mountain. I want to go far in jujitsu. I want it to yeah. be a passion. I want it to be my art, but I don't want to go that far. No, no. I don't, most people, normal people can't go that far. People like, I think, I don't know. Something has to happen to you to make you want to train as much as coach trained. What is your drive come from? For jujitsu? Yeah. Uh, I want to get better at it. I think that's where it is right now. I think I started maybe a little bit out of a place of fear. And I think that place of fear is kind of dissipated a little bit, but I think right now I just see people like Justin or, you know, blue belts and up that are doing great. And I want to get that good. How does being a guy that's been doing it for a year and a half, two years? Yeah. Year and a half. Um, how did it change the way that you walk around on the streets or go to a baseball game or, you know, I, go to work? I don't know. I think it definitely helped. I think, uh, I know that I train hard and I know that other, most people aren't. And I think there's maybe in my head, even though it, I don't, have an ego I don't want to have an ego and jujitsu definitely will kill your ego uh but I definitely think I have maybe a little one-up sometimes yeah I think uh for me you you at first get that sensation of like chances are you don't know what you're doing correct but then you also have the humility that says but you might be you may look like you're just some big goofy oaf but you may be real good at jujitsu yeah yeah, you'd. or or some other striking art, or you know, like they're all over the place, and you do, you can't tell just by looking at them. Yes, you see some of these brown belts and black belts, and you wouldn't if you saw them in street clothes, you wouldn't think otherwise. You wouldn't think that they were some super trained beast, but they are. I mean, sometimes you can't see it on everybody. So you're a guy working a not a nine to five job. What you can talk about? What are you doing right now for work? So right now for work, I'm at Sam's Club. I uh, work in the tire installation section of Sam's Club. I'm there seven to three or seven to three thirty most of the time. And what are you doing there? So I I'm making sales, like uh, talking to people about what tires they should get for their car, and I'm installing uh, the tires when they purchase them. What do you think is the split between selling them the tires and and putting the tires on? What do you mean? I mean, is like, it you spending half your time oh, putting on uh, tires and half your time? I think I'm 80% putting on tires. Okay. And do you enjoy that work? Yeah, it's all right. I It's not like what I want to do forever, but I it's not bad. I think it's a decent job, especially for a younger person. Got me through college. Why did you choose that one? I originally just got a job at Sam's Club because I was working fast food and I hated it. And I just putting applications in everywhere. I'm 18. I'm just throwing applications into the fire. And uh, Sam's Club called me and... They said they needed a person, so I showed up. That's so. My dad had like an extreme aversion 
to uh, men working at restaurants. Really? And it wasn't because he was like, I don't think they can do a good job or like you belong out in the sun. He was saying most men are not learning skills that they can compound with interest. Like, yeah, you're learning service skills, right? Like how to be nice to customers, but you're not learning how to build something. You're not learning how to fix something. You're not learning how to construct. And if you don't learn it when you're young, you won't learn it. Yes. And so he was like, absolutely no fast food restaurants for me working. That was not going to happen. I I think I balanced that out a little bit by studying a lot outside of work. Um, Now I'm not learning these crazy life, altering uh, lessons when I'm there typically, but it's doing a job for me, which is paying for things. And that's kind of the job I needed to serve right now, but I'm looking for that next step. And so what do you value with your money? You know, like right now you, you've got a, you've got a paycheck coming in. Yeah. If you overspend, there's nothing there, right? Right. Exactly. So what, what, what do you do? What do you spend your money on? So, so jujitsu, uh, monthly, I like to, I like to try to eat. Is that a painful thing to come out of your checking account or are you uh, sitting there watching it and being like, Ugh. sometimes it depends. I've been a lot better about saving and having money put aside and making it to where that hundred dollars a month doesn't matter, but that's good. So that's actually helped a lot. I've been less stressed since I've been learning how to invest and move money. It's so funny because people, I remember when I was in my twenties, having a budget seemed insane to me. Yeah. I didn't ever have a credit card, so I never went in debt. Okay. But I, I, uh, you know, I knew how much my rent and stuff was, but I wasn't sitting down being like, and this is how much I can have for entertainment. And this is how much I can have for exercise. And this is, it was all just a pile of money that I threw around. And really, I was buying a lot of cigarettes with it when I think about it. So you, it. bravo to you for yeah. staying out of that shit. Yeah, right. Uh, so jujitsu, mostly I have a gym membership. I try to eat healthy, have a couple supplements, things like that. But outside of... What do you supplement with? Uh, just protein, creatine, and pre-workout. I don't go too crazy in it. I think some of it's a little snake oil, but some of it isn't. Yeah, I uh, I eat a lot of uh, whey protein. Yeah, I do too. I a lot, and it's because I want to get the protein, and uh, it's it's the way that my diet is set up, and particularly if I'm adhering close to my diet, and like I just can't eat enough chicken to make that happen. Right? Yeah, it's and convenient. I, the yeah. having thirty grams in one scoop like that. Yeah, so and then you don't add a whole bunch of extra fat in there. You don't have a bunch of other calories. It's just no. like bang, and it tastes good. Yeah. Do you just do water and powder? No. Oh. And so I have an elaborate setup for my breakfast okay. because I want my macros to be dialed in for as much of the day as I can so that that way when I have dinner, if I need to be flexible, I can be. So in the morning, I have a protein powder shake with uh, 20 grams of oats, 140 grams of blueberries, and 15 grams of peanut butter. So I have my proteins, carbs, and fats that are in a perfect conglomeration, Sure, and then I put water in it and I blend it up. Um, and the, the protein powder is the exact amount of protein I need. And it just goes straight into my app. So I hit that. I had my regular breakfast and then I move throughout the day. So I try and have as much of my life as can be regimented. I have regimented. Nice. Yeah. I, I would like to get into doing kind of a breakfast smoothie deal like that. I think I could, I would enjoy that and I'd benefit from it. Frozen blueberries, man. Frozen blueberries. They're cheap. Uh, it's like $11 for a giant big bag of them. They taste great. Yeah. And it's one of those things that they've got a lot of other nutrients in them. You know, sure. you get a big bright berry. They're great. And that's actually my other trick uh, for um, having snacks. I don't know if you're ever, you, I don't know how much, do you worry about how many calories you eat? Uh, loosely. I, I try not to, I don't 
eat fast food that much. I don't eat. Do you know how many calories you eat in a a day? No, I don't track my macros that much. I think I could. Have you ever? No, I think I could benefit from it a little bit, but I also know that if I start following some strict crazy diet, I'll only stick to it for a couple weeks. So, uh, there's a guy on YouTube that I found named Radu Antonio and I, he's this Hungarian, like bodybuilder, but he's not like crazy jacked or anything. He's okay. just he's just a guy, and I liked the way that he put on entertaining videos about if you want this physique, then you need to eat this way. And like the physiques he's shooting for is like Brad Pitt in Fight Club, right? Yeah. So you are watching a little bit of like, oh, I want to look like that. But then after all that stuff, and you can fast forward through, or you can listen because it's kind of like making a friend because okay. he tells you about what he's interested in. Then he talks about like how macros really work. And about, you know, how to space them out, how to calculate all these things. And once I learned how proteins, carbs, and fats related to calories, I dropped 50 pounds in like, uh, it, it was probably under 12 months. It was probably that's, 10 months. That's impressive. That's... Yeah. And it was all from knowledge. Really? Yeah. And like the, now, if I want to lose weight and I'm not losing weight, it's because I'm just like indulging myself. I'm like, you yeah. know, eating candies or not tracking it. But as soon as I want to lose weight and I'm motivated to do it, I get on that thing and the and the train just rides nice. down. So what were you doing different with exercise in that time? I did virtually no cardio. And I uh, the, when I was losing all that weight, I was uh, starting to lift. And uh, that's what really got me going on fitness. And in order to be able to lift, I was so stiff from having sat in an office chair and from being a big fatty that uh, that there was a lot that I couldn't do. So I had to do a ton of stretching. And uh, that was really humbling because yeah. instead of lifting the, the bar on the on the bench press and moving it up, I'm sitting on the ground like stretching my arms. And and uh, so I wish I would have done that uh faster and earlier and better so i'm not much of a new year's resolutions guy i just never have been but one of mine for 2020 is i'm stretching a lot more i'm trying to i want to do it to where i can maybe put aside 10 minutes in the morning and stretch and then meditate is it hard for you to set aside 10 minutes no what time do you get up uh it depends i usually get up around four or five wow and try to i always try to get workouts done early it's just worked the best for me I've also found I'm just, if I need to get something done, that's when to do it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. When, when, uh, when you go to the gym and you're working out, how, what, it, what are you doing? So I've been into a strong lift five by five. Okay. It's a program. They just set aside, they have five different lifts. They have uh, bench press, squats, deadlifts, bent over barbell rows, and then overhead press. And they have it, they have those five split up between two different days. You got A days and B days. So I think one of the days is overhead press, deadlift, and the rows. Then the other day is deadlift, squat, uh, bench press. And you do five sets of five. And then every week you add five pounds to what you're doing. Wow. And you do that by yourself or you got a buddy that shows up? I do it by myself. Wow. Yeah. Just pop in the headphones and start listening to music and get going. That's interesting. You know, I quit listening to music and even podcasts when I go on my runs now Mm -hmm. because I figured out that I can actually, instead of hating the run and trying to distract myself, I can focus on the run and what I am observing, what I'm observing about myself, what I'm observing about my neighborhood when I'm running. And it was like freedom because now all of a sudden noise feels like... uh, 
yeah, a distraction. Like any music or anything you put in, I'm like, ah, I want to think. So, so you listen to podcasts when you run? I used to. I used to. I don't, when I run, I don't listen to anything if it's outdoors. I live like taking in like just whatever's going on around me. When I run, I think I get into like this flow state when I start running and. But you were a cross country runner, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was a cross country runner through high school. Yeah. That's what a great habit for you to have picked up. That's. So I played football Mm -hmm. and in football, part of being a football player was that you smoked or you like, you know, hung out and stuff. It was like stupid. Yeah. There's, there's nothing smart about that. The cross country team, which was winning state year after year after year where I'm from, um, they weren't doing that. They had a culture of like, Hey, focus. This is how you eat better. This is how you run. What a mistake it was for me to have been a football player and not a cross country runner there's a really good uh, documentary about like the most successful high school cross country team of all time i believe it's called the long green line okay and that really dives into uh kind of their lifestyle and some of these kids man are nuts they're running like they're running 3.1 miles in 15 minutes and oh my god going, i mean my i had a pretty good time but it wasn't like that i mean i was doing 3.1 miles in maybe like 18 or high 18 minutes but for a high school kid that's pretty incredible but man these kids are in the 15s and that's really crazy five minute mile paces for three miles and do you run now uh not as much as i should probably but i've kind of had this lingering knee thing i'm working through uh it's a lot better now it's i think it's just like a one-off thing i don't think it's gonna you know my immediate reaction when you said that was you should talk to my wife but you know what i am i am really pissed off about something uh to do with physical therapy uh, that you probably know nothing about and people sure. should know about this well, in the me. state of Missouri. If you have an injury, your knee hurts, you were running, you know, you started being like, Hey, this hurts. You have to first go to a doctor to get a prescription to be able to go see a physical therapist. Despite the fact that the physical therapist has the same amount of education as the doctor. Well, and way more on the muscular skeletal system. Right. Right. So you could be an anesthesiologist hear somebody say, Hey, the, uh, I have knee pain and they could write you a script to go to a physical therapist, but you can't just decide to go do it yourself. Okay. So let me ask this. If you know, uh, typically right. Whenever someone makes a rule or a law like that, it's solving a problem. Like what problem are they solving when they made that? Whenever someone drafted that and was like, no, you need to get a doctor's note to go see a physical therapist. Why? So I think there's two parts of it. Um, this was the case in a lot of states and most states have gotten rid of it. And I think it was because when physical therapy first started as a field, it really was just therapeutic. It was a doctor saying like their knee needs to you know, move better. So make sure you give them some mobility exercises and some other things. And that was as close as they knew. Right. But now the field is so much more advanced than that because since I had the woman that was one of the, you know, godmothers of, of that field on since they discovered like, look, it's not just doing exercises. You need to look at how the whole body is moving yeah. to be able to figure out how this is happening, why you're having this impingement, why you're having this pain. And so they developed it into a deep, deep field and they still call it physical therapy, but it's not really in the old fashioned way of doing this. Mm-hmm. So I think at the time when they set it up, they were saying it, well, this is just a part of, this is how serious what they can do is. You have to have a prescription to get it. And then you get to a, a certain point where you're like, we don't need this anymore. We, we've we got this. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're a physical therapist now in today's modern age, you can handle this. You're not going to do any harm. Yeah. And uh, they just never got rid of it. But there are, there are senators in the state of Missouri that have actively worked against 
being able to to uh, directly access a physical therapist. That makes me mad because yeah. I see guys down at the gym and I'm like, hey, I, I, I know you're having problems with that. You're telling me you should we should like line you up to go see my wife. But I know that in order to do it, they got to go to the doctor and then go do this. And like that's a hassle. It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I am glad that there's experts like that in this world, though, like physical therapists. So whenever I was running, I started getting these back pains. And right. So you're getting back pains. What do you think? Like, oh, maybe I need to stretch my back more. Right. That was my, right. f- my first thought. I looked at back stretches and it wasn't helping. And then I knew a physical therapist and I was talking to them. And they said, oh, it's because your hamstrings are tight. I'm like, yeah, that was my first guess. My legs are tight, so my back's going to hurt. But no, it's because my hamstrings were tight. And of course, you're a tall guy, right? Yeah. You're, you're sitting most of the day with your knees are above your hips. And so your hamstrings aren't getting the proper... I, I totally get it, man. Yeah. My hamstrings were super tight. And I started stretching those and my back pain went away. Yeah, I'm in with you on the on the stretching thing this year. So I'm I'm out for of jujitsu for the next few days because I started having hip problems. Yeah, and uh, I got to get that squared away. But I was able to talk with my wife and and figure out what the problem was. And like it's 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 just it's unfortunate that people can't um, just go directly to a physical therapist. That is unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. We, we should do something about it. Is should. what I think. We yeah. should. Yeah. Start a riot. Yeah, so speaking of uh, riots, what do you hear about what's going on in Iran? Uh, it's pretty nuts. I can't say I'm like, I've done a deep dive on it, but I've been enjoying the Twitter memes. Yeah, it's it's interesting how dark that got so quickly. Yeah, everyone thinks they're getting ready for the draft already. You you think so? No, but oh. I think Twitter thinks that. I, it, it was interesting to me how much I saw of people making light of that, and I don't care. So no, do whatever sure. you want, but it was just, that's not always happened. Right, we didn't used to. Hey, we're maybe going into a really serious altercation. Mm-hmm. Now let's everybody make jokes, and maybe they did, and I just wasn't in that club. Yeah, but I am now, and yeah. I know they're sending funny things around. They are. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, I think it's pretty. I think it's just a thing to make light of things now, especially with the internet. I think people find co- certain comfort in it. The guy, dark. Dwayne Faber, the the dairy farmer that was on the podcast, yeah. he had a hilarious tweet about if you were in Iraq. Every time you saw the sun go behind the clouds, like you you duck because it'd be <laughs> so. I was like, wow. Whoa. Yeah, I've seen a few like that. I tweeted one. I tweeted one today that was. Uh, it was like when you find out that you can't be drafted if you have a felony, and then and, and then it was uh, it was Freddie Mercury singing. Uh, Mama just killed a man. Put a gun against his head. Pulled the trigger. And oh, whoa! So, <laughs> so it's it's like a joke about like oh. willing to get a felony to get out of the draft. Oh man, that yeah. is. Uh, I'm I, I don't actually believe that. I'm just here for the memes. But yeah, I mean, me- good funny. memes are good memes. And you know what? Even it's. You should be able to share memes of things you do, you like completely disagree Absolutely. with, right? Like that's that's how you get tumult. That's how you get changed. Where where do you find your memes? Uh, or is that something you're willing to give away, or is that a secret that I, most people hold? I get my memes illegally, so I can't really talk about that. No, I get uh, Reddit. It's probably the biggest one. Reddit or Twitter. Okay, probably good places for memes. And uh, you specifically go. I mean, you. Yeah. So you. I'm in. I'm in a. I'm in a chat group with you, and you are like. You're like it's like you got a deck of cards and you're just waiting for the time to throw that one in and then that one. I, in. Yeah, I absolutely have a deck of cards. And so, have you always been a jokester? You're kind of a jokester, trickster. Uh, maybe a little bit. I think I 
I think I kind of get that from my brother, uh, my little brother. I just he's just an hilarious person, so I think it kind of rubbed off on me a little bit. He loves making fun of people and lightheartedly, and like his friends and me and parents and stuff. And he's always kind of found his way through humor, and he's just a humorous guy. So I think it kind of rubbed off on me just growing up with him all the time. He's one of the five people I spent the most time with, so I think I became kind of a jokester through him in a way. But I'm I'm a little more subtle than he is, or a little calmer about it, but. Is he a high energy kind of guy? He can be, for sure. Yeah, he definitely can be. Now he's in the Navy, and I know he's just being rowdy. Oh, really? Yeah, he's probably going through a little party thing, but he might need it. Uh, any concern because you have a brother in the military with uh, with Iran? I mean, like you're saying, you know, we're making jokes, but yeah. like there'll be real soldiers oh, going a into bit. real place. I mean, it's it's there. I don't think it's right now. It hasn't become real yet to me, but it's definitely there. He he would be one on a ship too. He's quartermaster, which. Apparently, in all the other branches of the military, it means you gather supplies, but in the Navy, it means you navigate. So he's a uh, ship navigator, and he's already navigated ships from Maine to Jacksonville, Florida, and kind of all around. So wow. I think he would. I think it's possible that if there's action for the Navy, he might see it. But I mean, uh, the the Navy is used in war a lot more than people realize because yeah. you take those ships and you put them offshore. And most of the time in the U.S. Navy, you can set up our ships so that we're far enough away that somebody striking us would be pretty difficult. But you're still there. Yeah. You know? And and in Iran, you're talking about uh, some pretty uh, tight there's some pretty tight areas where you could come in conflict next to ships coming, you know, where somebody decides we're going to block off the the Strait of Hormuz. You know, we're going to make it so nobody can move through here. And then you've got to decide, are we going to go pick a fight with them? And then if they, their gun, if their ship shoots at us, do we shoot back at them? Like that's, th- these questions are being asked right now. Yes, 100%. And I, I need to look in more into it. I don't think I'm. I, you know, so, so I did the opposite, right? When I was, okay. when I was your age, I looked into all this stuff. I was watching it. I was reading. I mean, I read the New York times. I had a subscription. I was pretty poor for oh, most of my life. Cool. I had a subscription to the Sunday New York times um, basically for five years. Right. And I would read it cover to cover. I was like, all right, I want to know what's going on in the world. <clears throat> and now I look back and I realize that was all noise mm-hmm. just because it had the sheen of being in the news. Did I have like a sensation that I, that I knew what was going on, but really they're just like, um, you know, think of the, the medieval times when there's guys with marionettes being like telling you a yeah. story and all the people are watching is this box. And we look at them and be like, how could they watch that and think that's so funny or, or interesting or worth watching? That's what our news media is now. They're just putting on a show. Oh yeah. I don't, I've never liked the news. I just, I don't know. I'm not super political or anything. And that's what nine out of 10 of it is. And I'm not all like super like fake news, fake news, but I don't believe some of it sometimes. And I just, I'm just ignoring it, I think. And maybe that's not a good response, but I don't. I think I don't it is, man. I think I wasted, you know, a lot of hours being up on what this guy said or that guy said. Like, it's a soap opera. Yeah. And it's not even altogether different than watching the WWF. Yeah. Right. And the people that are like die hard, they know what is going on and who those bad senators are on the other side. Like, can't you see their. Your own people, the people that you're on the side of, they are showing you things to get you to have an emotional reaction yes. so that you will go give them the power for them to do what they want to do. And they aren't on your side. Yeah, I, You got to have some system, but to be so vitriolic and hateful and angry on either side, 
well, you're lost. What they're doing now, and it's uh, not the effect they intended, but it's making everyone desensitized to it. Like every every article is the most extreme title. It's there's it's usually not a truthful headline. The headline is blood and guts and war and money and like what people catches people's eyes but and instead of making people like oh my god oh my god oh my god now i think people are becoming desensitized and don't care it's like what's it take to shock people now i think it's a lot more now there's very offended people out there but i mean in general i think it's well and i think about um how easy it is to read the articles i find when i'm just like thumbing through social media because everybody is like i want to optimize it for this to be the easiest thing for somebody to read so that they stay engaged with it and they mm-hmm. scroll down. There are exceptions. I started, uh, my buddy Keaton Kruger told me about this um, Wait But Why. Have you heard of this guy? Have not. And he, I've only just begun, but he has a very interesting way of making comparisons that are simple so that you can understand how the world works. Like sure. we're as close now to the civil war as some other experiences i can't even remember any of them they were they were good though yeah um but most of the things that you read on the internet are easy and simple and don't actually they're fluff they're candy the junk food right which is why i love that book club because i started realizing like if i can shut down the phone for 30 minutes yeah the value i'm going to derive out of reading this book for 30 minutes i know is this is is high how high i don't know but i know it's high because the book's been around for a long time yes and people told me it was their favorite book they ever read versus this where i'm just pulling the roulette wheel saying i hope somebody on twitter shares something with me that i think is interesting Mm -hmm. but most of the time i'm just sitting there cheering for my tribe and cheering against the other tribes yeah well i think i look at reading as like uh like i said i've been getting into investments and stuff more right i've been kind of looking into uh reading as more like a a dividend right like it just it just pays off the more you do it the more you absorb maybe you, you can't you're not going to read a book and absorb 100% of everything you see, right? But you're going to take nuggets. You're going to take little bits and pieces that mean something to you or that relate to your life or that you think you can value from. And I think that just builds on itself the more you read. I 100% agree with that. And one of the things, so you know the Twitter feed, Visualize Value? Yes. So the guy has like black background and white options. White straight lines are all of his options. It's not curves usually. It's very like... Um, and it, it looks like even slower than eight bit, not slower, but lower resolution or however you want to say that. But the, the cool thing is he puts in like a quote, but then he adds in drawings that make that quote make sense. And it's very minimal artwork. Right. That, and I think that's something in a way, like it's creativity through limitation. Like he's limiting himself to no color palette. He's limiting himself to straight white lines. Yeah, that's and right. It forces him to kind of, in my opinion, I don't know him. I don't know if this is what he's doing or not, but I would think it's forcing him to like, I have to be creative because I have to be able to tell a story through this quote using only straight white lines. And the quotes are usually like seven or eight words oh, at yeah. the most. Yeah. I know you're, he made one for uh, Rob Long, didn't he? Your yeah. Yeah. So the Rob Long one was attention is your budget to change the world spend it wisely i love that and it like the way that he does the drawing i'll throw it up here it's like a circle with a bunch of circles in between and you can see that's like the distracted world Mm -hmm. and then you have over here one just giant circle yeah and the way that he does the writing makes it so you see how the how the picture represents the words and it's so deep 
because it's so crystal clear. It's so yes. simple. Yes. And he does all of the work to distill the value. And that's the difference between people on Twitter and books is the same thing. It's that the author, in order to get that book published and then to have it live through all these years, yeah. they didn't have fluff. Your Every sentence is packing meaning. There's yes. not waste in there. There's a lot of waste over here. And that visualized value is is probably... I don't know how you could get better than that no, at being yeah. simple. Like I think it's actually archetypal. I think it's all the way down at the core. Yeah, it's just amazing. I really do enjoy looking at him. I've retweeted him a bunch, I think. And I try not to be too annoying with the retweets. I don't want to my page look like his page but what is your what is your philosophy on how you use twitter uh i just want so that's a really good question i like looking at uh the jokes and i kind of i like following uh mma news and sports news and things like that i kind of just use it to uh consume content mostly for now i would like to have my page, especially if I end up doing something where uh, I'm running a business or something, have my page be something that's fun to follow, like Strange Donuts. If you ever look at his Twitter, oh yeah. Bachman. oh yeah, dude. I know he's been on here a couple of times. His Twitter to me is the funniest thing on earth. I just some of his tweets are so dumb and creative at the same time. It's just it's impressive how funny he is. I mean, and I think it's because he's so genuine. Oh, and yeah. uh, like the other day, he had some dust up. Some somebody was uh, I don't know ba- writing bad reviews on his page or something. But he found out that the person was doing it maliciously or something like that. Yeah, I don't really understand. But he comes on and he does a thirty second video. He's cut out all the nonsense and he just he explains what's going on. And then he says, "I don't have any hard feelings for you. I know what it's like to be under the gun." I, I feel you. I know what it's like to be afraid. I got nothing but love for you. I got, I want nothing but success for you. So, you know, I watched that and I was like, I'm a, I'm a better man for having seen that. Yes. 100%. You were asking me earlier about like aspirations and stuff. I want to be Bachman when I'm older. I think, I think that's what I want to be. I think that you have to be prepared to go to hell for that. Yeah, I know. I don't, I don't, I think he earned Every bit of his knowledge of how to handle that situation, yes, because he was in hell, uh-huh. and that so that's that brings up actually a good question. Like, the only way you get better at things is if you're willing to suffer in some way. Now, you can turn that suffering into meaning, and you don't have to hate it, like we talked about with running. Yeah, but how much are you willing to suffer for the dream that you have? And I think maybe that's where you and I were probably similar. In that you aren't you aren't really willing to uh, to announce like, hey, I want to go be a an accountant and own my yeah, own accounting I firm. Think, and I was the same way. Yeah, I think it's because of that. I have a I have a feeling that when I know, I'll know. Like when I know what I that this is what I want to be doing, I will be willing to go through that suffering. Yes, but I think I'm maybe being a little conservative in my uh, approach. I think that's a good idea. There's this guy named Kenneth Stanley who uh, Rob and I used to uh, read before, way before we ever met you. He he talks about this uh, concept that you can't really know where you're going. Innovation happens um, by just taking the next step. You know, you look around at what your options are and then you take the next step instead of saying, this is how I'm going to get from point A to point B because you don't always know what point B is. So you you keep taking that next step. But I think when you know where you're going, yeah, you have a willingness to take larger risks, mm-hmm. which means you increase your level of of your willingness to suffer for things in case they don't work out or as they do work out. Right. And it's like you've you've told me before about that. You're uh, about chaos. Right. That's where all new things come from. 
and it's just your willingness to step away or like to go outside your comfort zone and bring something back into your comfort zone which expands your comfort zone, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and I so I heard a really uh, interesting quote from uh, Rob, actually, was the one telling me, Rob Long, Plantimals on Twitter. He um, he was telling us about the book, the it was something about the revolutions in science or how, how science evolves. And he basically said, the quote was essentially, um, knowledge doesn't come from chaos, it comes from mistakes. And I at first was like, I, you know, I've been saying this other thing. How do I feel about that? And that's actually true, though. It's like a scientist like Doug Sammons or Fred Perlack goes into the chaos and mm-hmm. says, we're going to look at these bacteria. We're going to grab this up and we're going to go over here and we're going to see what we can do with it. And it's not that they guess correctly. It's that they run experiments to find what did or didn't work. And then they follow down that path. Yeah. So it's applying order to chaos. Right. And it's a give and take thing. So I think that's right. Knowledge comes from mistakes. Yeah. And look at jujitsu, like learning, you make a bunch of mistakes and that's when you learn the most is like you, you might, you might be doing this thing where you keep your elbow out and that's a mistake, but someone points it out to you and then tries to break your arm. You're not making that mistake. Oh, that's exactly. So I think that that is one of, uh, Steve, our, one of our coaches our Wednesday night coach. I think that that is one of his excellent strategies is that he we do so much live rolling and when he sees you making a mistake he'll tell you about it yes but then he gets in and rolls with you and you're going as hard as you can and he is not going as hard as he can but he exploits the thing that he told you to fix Mm -hmm. he gets you into the situation and then he exploits it and you'd never forget no no because it hurts so bad what what's going to make you learn more than having the threat of going unconscious or having your arm broken right yeah nothing 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 i i uh that so steve and keith are our two primary coaches outside a coach you know so but we don't see coach all the time he's got a lot of students so so we get keith and steve steve i feel like is the rough and tumble you're going to learn through the hard way the fighting way Mm -hmm. and then you've got keith who is like really technically excellent yes, and is focused on improving his technique. So I feel like a lot of times we work on things that he's like, I need to learn this better. And so the way that I'm going to learn it is by teaching you guys and I'll figure things out. Mm -hmm. And we get done with class with him and I'm like, I know a new thing. Yes. You get done with Steve's class and you're like dead tired yep. but you're like i'll never do that that or that again yes right or, or oh that kind of worked and i think having the balance between the two coaches is going to make me a lot better right yeah i i take what i learned in keith's class and i do it i try to do it a hundred times in rolling at steve's class like it's a good system yeah it's a good system and the best thing about it is the guys that show up oh man I mean, like, we don't need to go into different things, but that's the cool thing about having a community. Yes. Because, and Ann and I were talking about this the other day. You don't know how much your life is static until you get into a community and you start seeing other people in their day-to-day lives and you start seeing, like, oh, they were trying to get through college or, oh, they had that semester or, oh, they had, you know, people that you don't know in another context, but then you start to get to know them and you start to know about how they're progressing along the path, right? Yes. In their in their life outside of where you're doing this thing. Mm-hmm. And then you have a bond with them because you want to see them succeed because they're yeah. working out and rolling as hard as they can with you or my wife does synchronized swimming. So you don't even have to be fighting. You can be dancing in the water together. But when you have that, the richness that it brings to your life is 
so difficult to try and describe, but it's a, it's that you have a wider spectrum of how you see the world going on right now. And that's one of the things I love about our crew at jujitsu. Oh, right? Yeah. And anytime somebody new comes in, you're like, yeah, all right, what are you going to bring? Come on, mm-hmm. come on in. Yeah. I think jujitsu is uh, something that's done for me is made me not as scared of failure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think so. And I was, I'm trying to, uh, balance those two. Like I just explained how failing makes you learn, but it sucks and it hurts. But I'm also, even though it hurts every time, I'm not scared of it. It's because I know in the long term it's making me better. Yeah, I think um, over the last year, I found out while I was running that most of the barriers that I put on myself are uh, like the fear ones are like, oh, no, what might happen? And once you start getting past that, oh, no, what might happen? Like, no, I'm controlled. I'm trying this new thing, but I'm going to do it within these parameters. Mm -hmm. I can go a little further. When you learn that you can go a little further, it becomes addictive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think right now I'm kind of chasing this, like, dragon of trying to tap upper belts. It's just kind of like this. i just been trying. I Now when I go against, I used to go against upper belts, uh, blue and up, because I'm just a white, I'm a white belt. Blue and up, I go against them, like, blue belts, sometimes I'll be like, I'll get a feel for it, and then I usually get beat, right? And then purple belts and up, it's just fighting a magician so speaking of the different belts you you had a really good point the other day where i was saying i think the uh, just we were hanging out yeah and i was like i think that using the belt system to describe levels of expertise is really helpful out in the world and you made a really good point and you're like it is because it shows there are levels of expertise but what you don't know is the distance that it takes to go from getting your white belt to getting yeah. your blue belt. Starting, walking in the door yeah. when you're handed your white belt to your blue belt. You're right. Without that perspective, you don't know yeah. that having a color belt means you're like legit good. You actually know what yeah. you're doing. I think I think if you took someone that doesn't understand the that dynamic, right? And you showed them like that the explained it to them that these are the expert levels and you had them like, How good do you think a purple belt is? They would probably be like, Uh, he's okay. Right, just looking at it on that scale. It's like, oh, he's okay. He's, you know, he's three out of five. He's, eh. Right. But that's, in reality, he's a magician. That's he's a right. wizard. That's right. And he's just maybe a little too inexperienced to get to that mastery yet. Or he, or he's just begun, or he's like yeah. working on the, the honing of the skill. That's right. But I do think in every single field mm-hmm. that you have, there is that thing and and it's probably that same Pareto distribution of how many people quit mm-hmm. before they get to that blue belt level and it's most everybody right somebody starts is like yeah. 80% or maybe maybe 65% they're going to quit but the ones that make it here then that is because it's so hard to get there yes yeah i think people think that it's it's going to be easy or they kind of you know jiu-jitsu crushes your ego and if you can't handle that you're not going to last i think that that's what uh i wanted in a job Really? I wanted to be able to be like, okay, I have a skill that's good enough for me to be able to do it, but I want it to be a skill that the more that I do it, the better that I could get. And I see how powerful that could be to, to have a mastery of something. Absolutely. And that's, that's what it is for me. Yeah. I, I like, I think that that's what I'm doing with my work. Right. Like now I'm consulting and I do speaking and the speaking I can I can work on both. I can hone a lot of them. But with the speaking, I watch people that are way, way better than me. I, I film myself and say, what could I have done 
to have said that better? Why is it that I thought I was going to get a laugh there and I didn't? What what stopped me up on the way that I was talking or how did I stutter? And once you get over the like, oh, I look silly or oh, I'm I don't yeah. like the sound of my voice and you can probe yourself mm-hmm. as hard as you probe your friends. It's awesome. Oh, it's amazing. It's liberating. It really is. I used funny you brought that up. I used to hate my voice. Like middle school, high school, I hated it. I didn't want to be in recordings and I was in a band. I didn't want to sing anything. I didn't when it is. I just didn't like it. And now? I don't care. It's whatever. I I'm stuck with it whether. It's not that bad. I, it, now I can paint it in my own mind. I can hear it even when it's uh when I'm not on because you know I, I will record this and then I'll go edit them, right? So I'll yeah. listen and I don't generally cut things out, but if some some kind of mistake happens or whatever, so I, I want to listen to the whole thing. And now I've gotten so used to my voice that it is my voice. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's the sound of me. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, you know, it's an important feeling because once you get past that, you're able to probe yourself a lot more. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a comedian and he's, uh, I'll remember his name in a little bit, but he was on this show. It's called The Green Room. And it's just a bunch of comedians. Like there's five comedians in a room and they have a podcast, like just like a five comedians from different backgrounds. There's older guys, younger guys, actor comedians like Ray Romano is on there a lot or he was on there once. Uh, But he said, he said, when I was a kid, I used to worry about my hair a lot. And then I realized I was a dead end. It's pretty funny. It's humorous, right? Hair dead end. But it's also like you have these things that you don't like, but then you reach a point. It's just like you get over it. And that's kind of where I'm at. Do you have uh, people around you that are telling you what they think you could do to get better? Uh, a lot of that in jujitsu, and I think I think you, Chris Oliver, is doing that. He's been for on me. the podcast. Yeah, yeah, Chris Oliver's doing that for me. We go get lunch weekly. No. Oh wow. Yeah, and he's been kind of. Uh, he's. I'm. I'm looking at him like a mentor. Definitely, I think he's a great guy to learn from. I mean, he just has so much wisdom. When you hear Chris talk about something, I find myself being like, everybody shut up. Like, he's he's going to tell us something oh. really important about how to think about solving this problem. Yeah. And he's, he's just dead on when and he's talking. What I like about Chris, too, is he picks his fights a little bit. He If he, he, he sits and he waits, and then when he talks, it means something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, well, that's cool. Yeah. I've uh, been getting lunch with Chris weekly, hanging out with you guys, I think is doing that for me outside of that. Not as, not that much. I mean, there are, I gotta say, so you hang out with the, the, the group, like we hang out with, you know, we don't have to talk about it, but like there's a wide range of ages, Yes, but you are the first time we've brought in somebody that's remarkably younger. And, um, as soon as you started hanging out with us, I was like, this is absolutely the right decision mm-hmm. because you're bringing things, parts of culture that we've left behind. We're not involved in it yeah. anyway. And it really helps the group like be like, oh, there's this other way of looking and thinking about things. And it's not the fact that you're young. It's the fact that you are a part of that wave yeah. of culture that's happening right, right. now. And then also um, <clears throat> it helps me out a bunch too, right? Because I'm with people that are older, been where I'm been where I'm at, like... I think I have something to offer and I think I can be a successful person uh, later in my life. Right. But hanging out with you guys, I'm kind of figuring out what it takes. I'm learning what works and what doesn't just being there 
right? I'm kind of trying to be a sponge a little bit too. I had a little tweet thread because some guys were talking about wanting to get groups of guys together and, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you think about this? And I was trying to put together my thoughts on, hey, you want to pick a place where you know where everybody's going to meet regularly. I don't think it should bounce around because then you've got to coordinate and whose turn is it and whatever. You just pick a place and you say, this is where we meet. Now, sometimes they're necessarily going to work. You can meet another place, but that's the standard. Now people know, hey, if it's a little later than what we thought we were going to start, that's okay. I can still swing by. They'll, They'll be there. Yeah. Then you got to uh, have the the group have like something that they enjoy doing together. Okay. Uh, like it doesn't have to be like you could be drinking or smoking or or whatever you wanted, but you could also be working on cars or you could be, you know, try, trying some hobby like you were talking about. Like, but you want to make it so that everybody is excited to be there because there's something going on. Right. And then you've got to make sure that everybody is getting a chance to talk about what's going on in their lives at some point, right? Like that's the point because that's what you're doing is you're sharing the wisdom of what's gone on so far. And invariably somebody will be like, Oh, I had that problem and this is what happened to me. And it's a, it's a fun back and forth. And if you can set those parameters up, I don't care who you are. You can get a group of guys together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I do appreciate being a part of this group. I think it's a very productive group and a, something that I'm learning a lot from. I think that people uh, should spend more time just sitting and talking with yeah. other groups of driven people. Yeah. And if you don't, I, if you don't have it, get out there and find it. And it, mm-hmm. you can find it on Twitter. I, I found a lot of people that I'm connected with really deeply on Twitter. And, uh, and you can start building it that way, but you got to find a community and it should be live. Yeah. I think there's two sides to that coin. I think one, you should be hanging out with more people and having conversations with people. Uh, and you're, you're learning a lot from that. I'm learning a lot from that and it's great. Also, you should be having these conversations with yourself too. I think spending time by yourself is really good. And journaling has been helping me a lot. How long have you been journaling? I've been journaling not that long. I, I, so I started maybe a couple months ago and then it fizzled out. I wasn't able to do it regularly. I didn't have a system. And then I was like, you know, I want to do this. I don't, this is something I don't want to give up on yet. I found this journal online that's more guided. It gives you a format. Like it tells you what to write, where to write it, but how you write it's up to you, obviously. Right. Like it tells you, it just tells you date and time up here. when did you go to bed? Yeah. You know, I had made a commitment when I was trying to encourage people to do their journaling, to give them prompts because my wife was like, I sit down and write and I don't know what I should write down. Yeah. And it's, it's been hard for me to do because I don't think of it that way. I sit down and I have such a tight structure on what I write about Yeah. that if I tried to tell somebody else and I tried to, I tried to be like, Oh, I do my weight and I do my, how, how far I exercised in my name. And then I start here, but like, it wouldn't make sense. It like, it's, it's just, it's written for the, the path down my brain, right? Not down somebody else's. So I completely appreciate the value of having a template. Oh yeah. Absolutely. But it's, it's one that like, to me, it would be like somebody giving me an assignment and I'd be like, get out of here. I don't want, I don't need your yeah. help here to write this down. Yeah, you didn't need help with that. I definitely needed help with that my old journals were just scatterbrained right like sometimes I'd write the date sometimes I wouldn't sometimes it'd be three paragraphs sometimes it'd be two sentences I didn't have anything like uh oh yeah my world is littered with journals that have the first five pages written in them right yeah and but I I uh now I have ones that I can fill yeah. cover to cover and it's just, and then it's like, oh, I have this manual. Like yeah. it's, this is the manual that made me, me. 
And um, I just set it down over here. I got my girlfriend into journaling too, and she's been getting a lot of value out of it as well. I what I would you say she gets value out of it? Like in what way? Uh, I think one thing she likes is she she said sometimes uh, you know she's working a lot, and sometimes she has days where it just kind of like blends. Like Wednesday and Thursday are the same day, and she can go back and be like, "Oh, I did this that day. That's actually really cool." Or, oh, know, that's a really good happened. point. So she, I think she looks at it as almost like a history book into her own life already, and it hasn't been that long that she's been doing it. Uh, but also, I needed, I think for journaling, I needed that framework, right? Like that's something I needed. I would have lost it a long time ago if I didn't pick up a guided journal. I think. I. So what are you picking out from from your guided journal? What's coming out for you? Um, so I think one thing that's pretty cool is it has me list three things I'm grateful for that day and kind of reflect on things that I'm grateful for. I think gratitude is a really important. Oh yeah. You cannot, you have to be humble in order to be grateful. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, he'll, he pushes gratitude, he pushes empathy and self-awareness. And I, I don't watch him that much, honestly, but those are three things I totally agree with. I like, I, I pride myself a little bit on self-awareness. And I definitely need to work on being more empathetic towards people or having like a, I don't know. I worry about the word empathy. Why? Because I think that um, we pushed that idea into our culture that mm-hmm. that being empathetic, that understanding where somebody was coming from uh, is, is uh, a core uh, like way to be good or nice or, but you know, sometimes empathy, and I know it's not sympathy, but sometimes understanding where somebody's coming from, uh, clouds the objective reality of where they are. And I think that sometimes if you're like so empathetic that you're like, I really understand that AJ's working a lot of hours and he's doing this and he's doing that. So of course he's let his weight go, you know, wild. I think that it keeps people from being able to say like, I'm going to tell you something that I know you would want me to tell you if you knew that I knew it. Okay. Yeah. I think there's a time and place. There's definitely a line, right? Like if I'm harming myself by, if I'm like working all this time and doing all this stuff and I'm just gorging myself with cheeseburgers, that's something that's harmful to me. And I definitely would want it pointed out because maybe I'm not realizing I'm as bad as I I think that that's been a good thing for me out of the community that I have, both our group, but definitely with my wife was opening and this is probably from jujitsu too right like what is it that i am willing to let someone correct me on yeah because it's humbling to be corrected yeah i think you're i think you're a lot more empathetic than you give yourself credit a little bit huh like uh for example you went on that uh you went to that ag road show in canada right right and you kind of talked about if you're not uh if you're not looking at uh people that are oppose you and then you're not getting things that can like rattle your foundation Oh, that's right. true. Yeah, that's yeah, fair. And that's definitely a that's definitely a very empathetic place you're coming from when you say that. Yeah, I I that's interesting because it it puts it in a different light. You know, I'm always saying that because I'm like, you really could fall into a bear trap. Mm-hmm. You you think you know what they're saying. You go to to make a commentary to somebody thinking that they agree with you and that this is your caricature of them. Yeah. And you actually may run into a bandsaw. Because that people, that person may really know what they're talking about and you're about to look really, really foolish uh-huh. and they're going to love doing it. And yeah. so I try and prepare people. It's just like jujitsu. Mm-hmm. I try and prepare people for, you've got to be looking at what they're saying and not through the eyes of another person 
Because if you do it through the eyes of the other person, they may have a vested interest in changing your view on yeah, sure. how, who that person is. So I, I don't, I appreciate you thinking it's from a place of empathy, but I think it's more of a place for self-defense. I can respect that. I, I can definitely see that too. I, I think I viewed it as like, cause you were talking about, uh, like you were talking with Dwayne, I believe. And they were, you were talking about fake meat, like the beyond burgers, right. Things like that. And you were, he was kind of saying, you know, why does there need to be a substitute for beef? We already have beef. It's great. All this stuff. And then you were kind of saying, you know, that's, Oh, it was with Jared. Jared McDaniel. Yeah, Jared yeah. McDaniel, that's right. And you kind of said, you know, that's narrow-minded to think like that, right? Like, and you don't think there's like vegan activisms that are just here for, because they support animals and they believe. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay, fair enough. I mean, that one of the things that I have found as I got older that mm-hmm. I definitely didn't have in my 20s was I didn't understand that you could have a different worldview than me. Yeah. And you could be right. And so could I. Yes. And that, that... That did not conflict with my, you know, my moral principle that there was a black and white, right and wrong. So you're in your 20s. Yes. And you got a job and you're fit and you're young. What do you do on Friday and Saturday night? Uh, I like to spend time with my girlfriend and we usually try to find something to do, some event. Uh, Sometimes it's a local concert. I like to support local music when I can. I haven't that much what kind of music i wouldn't even know where to go if there if, if it was like let's go see some local music i would have no idea There's, where to go st louis has some great places uh and it also depends what you're into um i like punk rock or like high energy kind so of. your girlfriend's going to punk com- con- concerts with you yeah wow yeah she likes it too it's, dude that's cool yeah it's a lot of fun uh definitely want to start going to more i think it's something that i feel i can feel like a direct value is given like whenever you're in the crowd at these local shows there's only there's not a lot of people a lot of times you know and it means something to the bands if you talk to them and say hey i enjoyed that and you can i guess i never thought about that yeah like local bands do a lot and they don't get the support yeah i i think about being a speaker and having somebody come up to you and be like hey that really meant a lot to me when i loved what you had to say but yeah. of course it would be i look at people in a band like you sent photos um, and I, uh, saw you being a drummer mm-hmm. in the back of a stage with a huge crowd of people gathered around you. And I was like, I have never had that sensation. I have never had the feeling of like a room of people cheering to have you keep going and to keep playing your music. That's awesome, man. I mean, that's what I think you do when you speak, right? Like I see you speak in front of crowds. Yeah. But that, I, I think you should just take this compliment because it is okay. like, and and really think about the fact that there are a lot of people that dreamed of being a rock star mm-hmm. and you've at least tasted it. And maybe you don't want to go to be the black belt that you'd have no, to be yeah. to do it, but you at least got to to smell the air and of the mountain up there. This reminds me of something I want to talk about real quick. I, uh, I'm petitioning to have an As the Crow Flies episode about how to take a compliment. So this is my petition. I'm sliding it forward oh, on your desk. Right. That's a good one, man. That's uh it because it it definitely takes tack and I see a lot of people I'll need to think about how I learned this cuz I know that I learned somebody taught me this. This was not but there's a lot of tack that goes into it because you need to um understand that a person can give you a compliment for several different reasons, but you have to understand you know, that it, that a lot of times if somebody gives you a compliment that you really care about, mm-hmm. it, it, it was, um, scary to them. Yeah. And most people don't realize that sometimes the, 
the compliment that meant the most to them was the hardest one to give. And so you want to make sure that you recognize that with people and you reward them for making observations for about you or about another person that by by sharing it, you made them better, right? That's yeah. why I even take my criticisms after the fact okay. to be compliments. Yeah, they are. Because if somebody didn't care, they just leave. Yeah, that, criticisms are without a doubt compliments. It's complimenting something else, though. It's complimenting that they care. It's complimenting that you're someone worth caring about, right? Like, I care enough to tell you. If I didn't care, I wouldn't point it out right. to you. It doesn't matter right. to me, right, whether you get better at this or not. But if I care about you, it's like, hey, I think if you did this instead of doing this, you'd be way better off. You know, I and I've been on stage during mm-hmm. a Q&A where somebody stands up and makes a criticism. Yeah. And that is a like I could feel like the the adrenaline making my fingers tingly and tasting a metal taste in my mouth. Right. Like oh, I'd yeah. been hit in the face or something. And eventually that happens enough when somebody's doing that. You start to realize like. That person may be pointing this at you, but they don't actually care about you. Right. They're afraid of something and they're pointing out that what you told them did not ally their fears or their or their what they're angry about. And so you got to change that. That's that's that is them giving you very direct, very clear feedback mm-hmm. that you failed. You did not achieve what you came to because i was yeah. going and talking with people like you don't need to be afraid of genetic engineering you don't need to be afraid of pesticides these are you can ask me any question you want and sometimes people got really like dig on me yeah but once you let go of that being about you you can handle it it's different when it's a divisive subject too right like right that you're talking about there's one side and the other and you're and you're trying to you know, maybe like you're on this side and you're trying to talk to people on this side and I could see that getting a little aggressive in the criticism department, right? Yeah, absolutely. People, I'm sure people have gotten aggressive or like maybe you got a little scared or something, right? Like people are going, I don't know. Well, so what can happen is that somebody can come to a microphone and they, they're they working up the courage to ask you something and they're nervous because they aren't public speakers. They don't do this all yeah. the time. And so then they have emotion because it's something that they're doing they believe that they are standing up for something Mm -hmm. so they go up to that microphone and their voice is shaking and they may be saying things to you that you interpret as like you're crazy that you think that and that you would even ask that question of me you must be reading some way conspiratorial sites there are people but people don't choose to be afraid they don't want to be afraid afraid is an unstable position yeah what they want is to know how can I trust what's going on here, that I can be confident that I'm not doing something that's going to harm me or, or, or that somebody's not going to take advantage of me. And you got to recognize that that's what drives somebody to come up and pick up a microphone and say something to the man that just stood yeah. on a box and told them. Takes confidence. Yeah. yeah. And so once you once I began to realize... That's how people feel, even if what they do is they walk up there and they're angry. So Mm -hmm. they don't have the shaky. They have the, I'm going to yell into this microphone. It's all coming from a place of fear. Yeah, sure. And that's a great thing to understand. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think the uh, anger approach is compensating or like covering up the fact that they're scared? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And, And most of the time, if somebody's angry... One of the biggest things is that they interpret that you uh, are not going to pay attention to them. Because if you were going to pay attention to them, 
they wouldn't need to raise their voice. No. They wouldn't need to signal to you that they are, you know, showing aggression. And so that's why that mirroring thing, like that is no joke. You can, have you heard me talk about mirroring before? Maybe a little, but. So, so somebody tells you something and instead of you responding to it, so this person's angry, they make an accusation at you. Instead right. of you um, responding to the accusation, you just repeat back for them exactly what you heard them say. So, you know, you think that this guy, you know, what I'm hearing you say is you think Monsanto is poisoning the soil and the and the air and that uh, everything is going to be destroyed if you don't stop them. Is that correct? Yeah. And then the guy will say yes. And then you say, is there more? And they then I do it again. So I repeat back for him exactly what I heard him say. Now, the second time you watch anger. <sighs> Yeah. Dissipate. Because you're trying to understand his perspective, right? Right. Yeah. And by understanding the way these emotions work, this is probably empathy, actually. It is. It is. I was, I was, I, so, but when you can understand that, then you can calibrate yourself yeah. to have that flow state with another person where even if they're too hyped up, you can control. I was, the, I was 50-50 on if I was going to call you out on that or not. Okay. Call out empathy. I was like, should I or should I not? You're right. You're right. And that's one of the things that you get with age is you start understanding that shit happens to people. It does. Right. 100%. You think like, how could you be like that? And you're like, well, shit happens, man. Things, yeah. things, bad things happen to people's lives. Let me ask you this real quick. Uh, you've talked to all these people. I'm sure you've changed some minds on some subjects, right? Right. Like, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Do you find the angry ones like there's no changing? There's no like they're just stuck in their way. Like they're not going to believe your side. The angry ones tend to be people that are, um, you know, strong opinions are often loosely held, right? You can't, you can't hold on to them. Sometimes they're not, but it's right. the people that come that are sad. Those are the ones that you have like real trouble with. So I will occasionally have somebody that, that, uh, would come and say like one time a woman at, um, an Iowa state university th uh, talk came and said, my child has autism and these people say that it's your company's fault that that what your GMOs and your glyphosate did yeah, this to him. Sure. And uh, what do you have to say for yourself? Right. Like there's very little energy that's positive there. She's come in with a real problem. Mm -hmm. And if you pop back and you're defensive or you're strong, like that's not right. But if you let her continue to believe that's true, she's going down a wrong path. Right. And so you've got to like that is the level of connection with other people that I only got because I've been around the block and I've had shit happen to me and I've made mistakes. And, you know, that's when you start to say, I know how to relate to people because I know what I would have wanted them to do to me. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure that's that's something that's hard to hear, too. Like that's even even if you, you know, you have statistical data showing that this didn't have like glyphosate doesn't cause autism right but you're still hearing her say that you're like it's a hard i'm sure that's a hard argument to approach absolutely yeah. and and really you think about anything that you represent if somebody came and said that thing is harming me any human being wants to like because it's for your own self-preservation you're like yeah. okay i want to know what is that am i doing something wrong yeah and the more anger they bring with you, the more you're able to push back on that level of emotion. But mm -hmm. if the emotion is just a tiny blip and it's way understated, it's much harder to com com to engage in fl with flow in that circumstance where you're just kind of taking their energy and using it in the way that helps get the thing resolved. They don't have much energy. 
Yeah. What are you going to do? Be sad with them? Yeah, like, right. No, I don't know. Yeah. Wow. So I will do one on uh, accepting a compliment. I'll Please. need to. I'll. I'll think about that because I'm certain that that has probably been taught to me. I, I can remember being rebuked by people for not accepting a compliment that they gave me. I just got to think about it. I, I think whenever I receive a compliment, I naturally bring it down a little bit. Like almost, I don't know. It's like I'm defending like a defense mechanism or something. Like you say, oh, you're great at this. I'll be like, yeah, but am I really? Because I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think humility is really good. I think the response about uh, like accepting a compliment is trying to figure out what it was that they wanted to shine a light on in you mm-hmm. and what it, what it, and that's not that you need to deflect that light because the light's already being projected onto you. Right. It's better if you then say how that helped you understand, you know, them some sure. in some way. I, I'll think about this. I, yeah. I need to iron this out, but I, yeah. I, I accept your request. Awesome. I appreciate that. So man, you're um, going to be 30 one day, one day. What do you think your life will be like when you begin your 30s? When I begin my 30s, I think I will be one in a house or late stages of an apartment looking to get a move into a house. I would like to have what I would like to know what my career path looks like at least a little bit. Obviously, things change. Uh, Things happen. Sometimes you end up in a different field, right? But I would like to at least have... You want to own a company? You want to be an employee? I think I... You know, I've been talking, I've been thinking about this for a while. I've, I've had uh, experiences somewhat owning a company. I did freelance web development in high school to pay for things. And I understand kind of, I think I have a brief, a small amount of understanding of what kind of work that takes and what kind of sacrifice that takes to build something like that. And I've, I've been thinking about it. I also think I could be a good employee too. I don't know yet. I I see myself right now as an employee, but I think that could change without a doubt. When I was in my 20s, I uh, didn't think, and I probably couldn't have, been as dedicated to like getting my work done Okay. when I wasn't as intrinsically motivated as I am now. And that's what being an entrepreneur requires because mm-hmm. there's nobody to tell you to get to work, right? You, yeah, you just got to do it. And whether results happen or not, it's on you. But there's also luck and chance and all kinds of things. And if I had not had deep intrinsic desire to make that happen, the suffering that you go through, yeah, I couldn't have done it. And you know, Correct. you know, you know, like that. That's a, it's a good thing to be aware of. But the other thing is that when you're an employee of somebody, you're building what they want you to build, and yeah. it's not building what you want to build. Yeah, and and that obviously doesn't go to say you can't enjoy being an employee, right? But I do agree with the uh, philosophy that you're putting forward. Yeah. Like you're, you're not building your dream. Right. And you could be, I guess like you don't have to identify with your career necessarily, but if you want to be an expert in something, you have to. Yeah, that's right. And there are some scientists you just can't work unless you're working with a conglomeration of people. And you just, there are, there are experiments that can't be run unless you have millions and millions and millions of dollars to run it. There's nothing wrong with people going to get a job. You just have to make sure that that either your identity is not tied in with your career correct, or that whatever career you're in, it allows you to continue to build towards a mastery that you want to have. Correct. Yes. That's exactly kind of what I was getting at. And I think if you're not in that position, certainly people have to be like, Hey, I've got kids, I've got responsibilities. Then you should be thinking about like, what's my end game here though? Is it to wait it out? Is it to have a life I don't really want for the next 10 years? You only have this moment here. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, 
that's the difference between waiting something out and being like, I know I'm going to start this thing and it's going to take me forever to get there, Yeah. but I will get there eventually. What's the difference between those two things? Between waiting something out and... Yeah. Uh, I think it's... Th- I think the difference is waiting and actively waiting. There you go. Right? Like waiting, sitting here. If I sat in my room all day and played video games and I said, no, I'll get a job. I'm not going to. I'm, I'm going to be sitting in my room playing video games. I'm not going to be applying it out there. But if I'm waiting to maybe find my path but I'm actually actively moving in some direction, which for me is learning right now. Like I'm actively moving into learning about different things. Then I think eventually I will keep pushing forward and then I'll end up on a path. And where, where would be your ideal place to work for a job right now? Right now? Uh, that's, that's, that's a good question. I've been applying to more, uh, it related jobs, cybersecurity. I have a cybersecurity degree. Um, I've been applying to some like computer science type jobs or web development jobs, something maybe in tech. I had a internship at New Balance in uh, here in St. Louis. They have a small building on uh, in Kirkwood and it was a very free place to work. Like they gave you a lot of freedoms. You didn't have to wear a suit and tie, you know, like my manager wore gym shorts and basketball shoes to work. And wow. It was you. They put a lot of trust in their employees, like kind of was able to take lunch you know if you're gone for 20 minutes or an hour like just as long as you're back and responsible you know they put trust in i think that's pretty cool like having oh yeah it's a huge change from when you're working in a job where people have got to be told now is your break now you're done with your break now you can start working now you're done working be back at seven yeah i enjoyed the freedom there yeah that makes a big difference yeah for sure um well i i guess as, as we close out, if there's somebody that wanted to get a hold of you because they heard you, they know how hard you're working, yeah. they know that you're into cybersecurity and um, could do all manner of things on computers, um, how would they go about getting a hold of you? Uh, I would say TalkWord on Twitter, T-A-L-L-K-W-A-R-D. It's a combination of tall and awkward. And uh, spell it one more time. T-A-L-L-K-W-A-R-D. All right. And I also recently bought the doma- domain name, uh, talkword.com. So, That's a good one, man. Yeah. I, right. de- I just developed a website for it. I'm going to keep adding improvements right now. It's pretty minimal, but. Is it up there now? It's yeah. live? Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah, I'll go check there. that out. Cool. Well, uh, man, I'm so glad you came on here. You are, uh, if you're one thing, you are the disciplined, driven man that I wish I could have been when I was your age. I am, I am, uh, deeply impressed with all that you're doing. And, uh, I'm so glad you're in St. Louis and whatever you decide to do, man, Oh, for sure. I'm fully Um, behind you. One step at a time. I, you know, I, I, right now I wake up early, I go work out, I eat healthy, I do all these things, but it just was one step at a time. I started waking up at six and then five 30 and then five 15. You are on the path and I am I'm I'm grateful for for knowing you. So, um thanks man. We'll yeah, have thank you back you. on. Thank you. Thanks.